The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 74. It is Sunday, December the 3rd, and we are coming off of what is arguably the most exciting weekend of MMA action probably ever, uh, at least in recorded history. And I know somebody who probably agrees with me. His name is Jeff Diadamo Wilson, my trusty co-host. Jeff, how you doing this Sunday evening, my friend? Bill, I am phenomenal. And I'm just sipping some tea over here because uh, it's, it's basically flu season, Bill. Everybody is getting sick. My dad's feeling a little under the weather. So I'm just trying to incubate myself in my room so I don't catch any germs. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about that anymore because now I live here in uh, tropical Florida. So... Uh, we have a little bit of a weather change if it gets down to, I don't know, 60 degrees at night, but other than that, perfect weather, jeans and t-shirt, maybe a light jacket or a hoodie every now and then, but for the most part, it's been awesome. So you should get down here and visit pretty soon. Um, so let's jump right into it, Jeff, because man, what a fucking weekend of MMA. I, I don't think it could get any better than this. I, I almost feel like I need a break. Like I, after the after the Eddie Alvarez Justin Gaethje fight, I had to actually calm myself down to watch the rest of the card, and the Cejudo Pettis fight helped with that. But <laughs> um, carnage that followed afterwards did not. But let let's start at the top, and let's talk about Max Holloway defending his uh, featherweight championship against Jose Aldo, who. A lot of people would say it was the greatest featherweight of all time. Uh, this is now the second time he's been TKO'd by Max Holloway, and the second time he's TKO'd by Max Holloway in the third round of a fight. Uh, Max Holloway looked much better in this fight than he did in the first matchup. Even though Jose Aldo had some of his old tools back, he was throwing the leg kick, which a lot of people thought would make a difference. Uh, apparently he was injured in the first fight, and he couldn't throw his signature leg kicks. So despite uh, having some of his weapons back, it seemed like he just had no answer for Max Holloway. It seemed like everything he threw at him, Max Holloway just walked through it and just kept coming forward. He was taunting Jose Aldo and, you know, ultimately got the finish. And uh, I I think that'll definitely be the last time we see these two fight. So what was your opinion of this main event here, Jeff? Bill, this main event was phenomenal. I thought that Jose Aldo looked really good in the first round, but then it was the Holloway show after that. Uh, Aldo was taking some really deep breaths. You could see he had a really bad cut on his right eye that only got worse throughout the fight. And credit to Aldo, man. He's he's one of the best fighters ever. Um, I, I think that this takes nothing away from him. I think that Holloway just has his number, unfortunately. But Aldo showed the heart of a champion because he was exhausted. He was clearly 
uh, taking some bad punishment in the third round, and he kept uh, trying to fight it off. He kept responding to Holloway up until uh, they took it to the ground. Actually, Aldo was the one who shot in, and unfortunately, he was just uh, too tired, and Holloway was on top and just throwing punches. I thought that the ref did a really good job of stopping the fight when he did. I think he gave Aldo a good chance to defend himself. Um, uh, which actually brings me to a topic we're going to discuss a little bit later uh, about another episode we were talking about, uh, well, that you did uh, midweek. But, Bill, what did you think? Uh, did you th- How did you have this uh, fight scored going into the third round? Uh, I had it all for Holloway. Um, I, I could entertain an argument that Aldo maybe uh, won a round, but definitely not as decisively as the first time they fought the first time Aldo, I thought definitely won the first two rounds. And then the third, uh, as he started to gas out, uh, as is often the case with Max Holloway, he starts to turn up the volume and, um, you know, it it was just too much for him. I, I don't really see what could be next for Jose Aldo. I don't know if he can make a cut to 35 or, or if the cut to 45 is too much for him. Maybe he moves up to 55. Uh, I know he's talked about that before that there could be some interesting matchups for him there, but, uh, it's one of those situations where a phenomenal champion who, uh, just can't beat the person with the belt. I mean, Aldo is still a champion. He's still, you know, world beater. Even after the loss to Conor McGregor, he came back and had an awesome performance against Frankie Edgar, beat him for a second time. I mean, not just anybody beats Frankie Edgar once, but twice. Uh, I think only Aldo and Benson Henderson are in that category. But uh, what's next for Max Holloway? I think Frankie Edgar is the only fight that makes sense. So hopefully Frankie Edgar heals up and stays healthy and we're able to see that fight because I think it'll be phenomenal. Uh, I think performance, it'll be a little bit tougher for Frankie Edgar because Max Holloway has so much momentum behind him now. Uh, I mean, he just completely dominated who was widely considered to be the greatest featherweight of all time. And he stayed humble about it too. When Joe Rogan asked if he thinks uh, that he's the greatest featherweight of all time because he beat Aldo twice. Now he said, no, I don't. I have a lot more title defenses to go before I live up to this man. And uh, I thought that was awesome. I thought it was really respectful of Max Holloway and that's what makes him so likable. And he's mature behind it beyond his years. I mean, the guy's, 25 years old, I think, and he talks like uh, a seasoned veteran. So it's really awesome to see. I, I thought it was a great performance, a great feather in his cap for sure. And uh, it definitely, I, I think it had to have brought closure to Jose Aldo's career at 145 pounds. I think he's going to have to make a move as long as Holloway's holding that belt, which he plans to do for a long time. I, I think. He had the coldest message ever for anybody trying to take his belt. All he said was good luck. And I thought that was uh <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So speaking of awesome, let's talk about this co-main event here, Jeff, which uh, probably the most frightening knockout I have ever witnessed. And you kind of had a feeling it was coming. At, it, right out of the gate, it looked like Alistair Overeem had the right game plan for Frank, Francis Ngannou. He wanted to hold him up against the cage, work the clinch, uh, try to avoid the big shots. But uh, once they got some space between them, watching Alistair Overeem was like 
watching a 90 year old lady trying to carry a glass sculpture and you're just watching her kind of like rattle back and forth and you're just waiting for her to drop it. That, that's the kind of anxiety I had watching this fight where you just knew what was going to happen uh, once Nganu had enough space to get those giant clubs of hands free. Uh, and ultimately, he was able to swing one of them right into Overeem's jaw, basically picking him up off the ground and giving him whiplash in the air. Uh, it was really one of the most devastating knockouts I have ever seen. It's going to be on highlight reels forever. Uh, and, and it was really a thing of nightmares. I mean, Overeem is six foot four. He's a K1 Grand Prix champion kickboxer. He's one of the most skilled strikers on the planet. Uh, I mean, granted, his chin had been suspect because he had suffered some brutal knockouts later in his career. But uh, the fact that Ngannou was able to flatline someone with the credentials of Alistair Overeem is fucking terrifying, Jeff. What were your thoughts on this fight? No, I was fucking concerned, for lack of a better word. Um, dude, you, you, when you say flatline, I'm pretty sure that Alistair Overeem died for maybe a minute and then <laughs> was brought back to life, man. Um, dude, Francis Ngannou might be the scariest heavyweight ever um, in just yeah. terms of raw power, man. That was really, like... You know, usually I enjoy a knockout, but when I saw Alistair Overeem get starched um, and then just yeah. not respond after he hit the ground, dude, I, I was I was frightened, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and then Nganu had a great message about, um, you know, racism, and, and he was saying, fuck racism, and how there's still slavery in Libya. If I were the entire nation of Libya, I, I would be scared of this man. Yeah, he might have single-handedly ended human trafficking across the world <laughs> after that. Um, and I, I loved his fuck racism and fuck racists uh, message. I think if anybody has any racist thoughts, uh, they should be shown that clip of Francis Ngannou and told, uh, like, he's going to come for you in your sleep unless you stop being a fucking racist. And... <laughs> And yeah. that ought to do it. That ought to do it, Jeff. I, I mean, if I ever had any racist thoughts, and somebody told me that Francis Ngannou was was coming after me, and they showed me that clip of what he did to Alistair Overeem, I, I would I would think about changing my ways. So uh, maybe <laughs> maybe we uh, I don't know. Maybe he just changed the world with this knockout. Who knows? I I mean, we can only hope uh, if. If Francis Ngannou can end uh, human trafficking in Libya, then that's a beautiful thing. Uh, but yeah, that knockout was not a beautiful thing. That was that was horrifying. That was like something out of a fucking video game. And it, uh, a human being should not have the ability to do that to another human being. That is just <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> that should stay in the video games, Jeff. In any case. Um, <clears throat> I, we have so much to talk about and so much to get to. Henry Cejudo with a dominant victory over Sergio Pettis. Uh, kind of how I saw this fight going down. Cejudo just going back to his wrestling roots. Didn't want to take the chance of standing with Pettis. And when an Olympic gold medal wrestler wants to put you on the ground and keep you there, uh, guess where you're going to be, Jeff? You're going to be on the fucking ground. Uh, just superior ground control. I, I really thought it was unbelievable. For someone who is 
and slippery on the ground as Sergio Pettis for Cejudo to just hold him down uh, the entire fight. Doesn't make for the most entertaining fight, but uh, what can you do? And I think a lot of people complain a lot uh, when wrestlers do this, but my argument is always, have you ever tried to hold down a professional athlete who doesn't want to be held down? It's not an easy thing to do. But a high-level wrestler can make it look easy. Uh, I was especially impressed with Cejudo's wrist riding, uh, which is when you kind of get on a side position, a a referee position they call it in wrestling, and you reach underneath and and, uh, grab your opponent's wrists and kind of roll it into the mat so they're not able to roll out and recover guard or do anything like that. Uh, That technique works especially well against Pettis and Cejudo didn't even really seem uh, concerned with passing a guard, but he did a couple of times, and and he was able to just jump over Pettis's legs a few times like they were nothing. Uh, any thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Before we get to uh, the fucking carnage that was the fight before this, yeah, uh, Cejudo went in there with the right game plan, dude. Uh, cut the distance. Uh, obviously, Sergio Pettis is a very uh, standout striker, and if he had given him space, I think it would have been a totally different fight. So I think Cejudo went in with the right game plan, and I think that this fight was probably considered boring or a little slow when when it had to follow that Alvarez versus Gaethje fight. Uh, but I think uh-huh. the I think we kind of needed that after the the roller coaster of emotions that we went through, but. Bill, talk us through this Alvarez Gaethje fight because this and the Nganu Overeem fight just out of this world. I oh man, I I already told you, I, and you and I were texting Jeff last night, but man, I I could not calm down after this fight, and I'm not the type of person to sit and watch the fights and be yelling and screaming at the TV. That's just not that's just not me. I mean, you've watched plenty of fights with me, Jeff. You know, I'm not really. Uh, a yeller and a screamer, but man, I could not control myself during this fight. It was so fucking exciting. Uh, I couldn't contain myself. Uh, These guys were going back and forth, slinging hard leather at each other for nearly three full rounds. And, oh man, Alvarez looked like he had a broken jaw. He had some kind of weird swelling hematoma uh, on the side of his mouth. Uh, he could barely stand on his lead leg because Gaethje kept chopping it down with leg kicks. Uh, Gaethje got wobbled. It's hard to tell because of his his weird head movement. It's hard to tell when he's hurt or when he's just kind of coming at you with his like wobbly head movement that he kind of does to throw people off. There was there was flip kicks in this fight. There was uh, uh, slam takedown attempts. There, I mean, this was a a real display of violence and it was a beautiful thing. And even when Gaethje went down, he was like a chicken with his head cut off. He was unconscious as he's going towards the ground and he's still swinging his arms. It it was incredible. I, I I can't, I I lived up to the hype and more for me. Um, And man, these are just two warriors and I, I would watch these two guys fight on any card. I mean, I don't care what else I have to do. I'm changing my plans if these two are ever going to fight again. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I was I could I couldn't sit down while I was watching this. I was standing the entire time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just in my living room, just just you know, standing in front of the laptop. But dude, this was 
Oh, man. Like you said, it lived up to the hype. It was amazing. Um, I thought Gaethje had it in the first round when he was chopping down Alvarez's leg because it looked like he was going to go down a few times. And then I thought that Alvarez had it in the second round when he was just pummeling Gaethje. And, and dude, I like it, it was so hard. I'm, I'm really glad that this didn't go to a decision because, honestly, I was I couldn't decide who was winning rounds. It was just awesome. They were just throwing leather, throwing kicks. Dude, this is this was like a game of Street Fighter, is what this was. Yeah, <laughs> dude. One of my favorite parts of this fight was uh, Gaethje kind of like slipped, or I think Alvarez caught him with a good shot, and Gaethje falls back, and instead of hitting the ground, he he does a back roll and stands up off the cage. I was like, what, <laughs> dude? Yeah, this fight was, it was wild, man. Um, I think what. What ultimately won the fight for Alvarez was uh, his body punches, which were ridiculous. Uh, he was throwing the left and right body hooks, very Tyson-esque. If you think about a prime Mike Tyson, the way he used to dig in and throw those body hooks, get in real close and really bite down hard and, and sling them in there. Uh, Alvarez's boxing, he really did look like a younger, uh, thinner you know, light, lighter weight class, Mike Tyson. Uh, I, I really liked the way he was throwing those hooks and uh, that seems to be the only way to slow Justin Gaethje down. And, you know, Gaethje had a great game plan for Alvarez too, with those chopping leg kicks. I, I mean, he basically, uh, it, it seemed at one point that the fight was going to be stopped, uh, because Alvarez couldn't stand anymore. I mean, he tried to pull a guard at one point and then he fell down another time and, and Gaethje had him stand back up. Uh, but the, those body shots sucked a lot of the wind out of Gaethje, which is why he's able to take so much damage. A lot of people don't realize that the better your cardio is, uh, the better your chin and the better your recovery time is going to be. Uh, just because when you have really good cardio, if you're really in, in really good aerobic shape, it keeps the blood uh, flowing better through your uh, circulatory system. So you're, you're able to keep the uh, fresh blood in your brain. Uh, and and get oxygen to your brain, and that helps it stay on even when it's being shut off by nasty punches and knees and things like that. So uh, Gaethje is known for incredible cardio. The guy's an animal. Uh, I would watch him fight absolutely anybody in this division going forward. For Eddie Alvarez, I think the most logical thing is a rematch with Dustin Poirier uh, since that match ended, unfortunately, the last time they were going at it. And that was a crazy fight, too, where they were dropping each other and uh, Alvarez was getting beat up, and then he came back, and he looked like he could knock Poirier out. Uh, so I would look forward to that rematch. As for Justin Gaethje, uh, there's some crazy fights for him in this division. Uh, Lando Venata comes to mind. Uh, that would be a fucking wild fight. Uh, but no matter what, I'm looking forward to seeing both of these guys fight again. Uh, what would you like to see for the two of them, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'm going to agree with you on the Alvarez versus um... – What's his name? Uh, Dustin Poirier fight. That would be another awesome rematch. Uh, but real quick, dude, I want to make a comment because you just uh, reminded me of those body shots, man, because it looked like he really uh, hurt Gaethje in the second round with one of those because I saw Gaethje kind of drop his elbow really close to his ribs, mm -hmm. and when somebody does that, you know they're feeling it. Uh, so that, I thought that was a really, really good strategy, and you could see him slowing down in the third round. And as for that knee, it looked like it looked like Gaethje lost a tooth. Maybe I 
uh, didn't see it, but it like it was like a spurt of blood came up from his mouth, and I think I saw a little white thing in there. So yeah, uh, no proof it's, of that. It's very possible. Yeah, but dude, uh, as for Gaethje, uh, put him up against anybody, dude. Uh, either of these guys, put him up against anybody. I think we're gonna have an awesome fight. So I don't know who you put Gaethje in there against next. I was gonna say maybe Dos Anjos, uh, but then yeah. I remembered that he's a welterweight now. Uh, so uh, yeah. So yeah, well, you I got um, you got Paul Felder who uh, had a really impressive victory on the same card. Paul Felder and Justin Gaethje would be a fucking insane fight for sure. Um, and, and, uh, actually let's talk about that fight, Paul Felder and Charles Oliveira. So, um, but in between those two fights, we had Tisha Torres and Michelle Watterson, solid fight, uh, Torres coming out with the victory there. We can get back to that one, but let's stick with the lightweights for now. Paul Felder was in a really uncomfortable position with Charles Oliveira. He went to the ground with him on the, in the first round and Oliveira is just like a fucking spider monkey. When he gets a hold of you on the ground, he's able to just attach himself and move positions. Uh, he's like he's like an alien or or something like not human that's able to just crawl around your body and stay attached to it at all times. And Felder just stayed calm, even went back to the ground after surviving having Oliveira on his back for much of the first round. He went back to the ground with him, beat him up on the ground, and finished him on the ground. Uh, and Oliveira subsequently tapped out to strikes when Felder hit him with a big elbow. Felder said he felt the tap and then continued to hit him with six more <laughs> vicious elbows uh, before uh, referee Dan Mergliata uh, stepped in and broke it up. But... Uh, what were your thoughts on the fight, Jeff, and the uncomfortable positions that Felder was in in the first round, the way he came back in the second round? And then what are your thoughts on him feeling Oliveira tap and saying, fuck it, I'm going to smash your face in anyway? Yeah, dude, um, I thought Felder was done in the first round. I thought Oliveira had it a few times, and all credit in the world to Felder, dude. He's in there with a world-class jiu-jitsu guy, and he survived. Not only that, then he turns around and just starts smashing face with his elbows. Uh, so good for uh -huh. Felder. I thought that at first I thought it was a kind of dumb to stay on the ground. Uh, looked like he had his arms in trouble a few times when he was uh, dropping the elbows. But uh, he was able to get out of it and finish with those really tight elbows. Um, and, dude, to answer your third question, the tap, I think Felder did the smart thing to keep going because the ref didn't stop him. And, you know, not to say that Oliver is a cheater or anything, but he could have gotten up and said, hey, listen, I didn't tap. You should have. If you saw me tap, you would have stopped the fight. So I think he did the smart thing there. Yeah, you. Uh, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, he could have like said something like, "Hey, he just tapped to the ref." Um, but yeah, you got to go until the ref stops you because you don't want to be in a position where you let the guy up and then all of a sudden he like rolls for a heel hook or something, and <laughs> and then you know you're in a shitty position because you're being a nice guy, let him up. I mean, this is this is a fight. It's not, you know, it's not ping pong here where you you're you got to be like, oh well, that shot was on the line there, so we better deduct a point or something you know this is if he doesn't hurt this guy then he puts himself in a position where he could get hurt so you know understandable that he kept smashing him and if you've ever had somebody on your back who's a high level 
grappler and then you get in a position where you could smash them with elbows, you'd probably feel the same way as well. So I think there's a lot of respect between these two. Uh, it's good to see uh, Paul Felder back in rare form. I know he went through some issues for a while there, but uh, man, that guy is fucking vicious. And it, it's crazy because he's such a nice guy and he's so well-spoken. He's been doing a pretty good job with the, with the commentary. I've really enjoyed when he does the commentary. Uh, he did the Dana White Contender Series and he's done a couple of fight nights. So awesome to see this kind of performance from Paul Felder. Uh, did you have any comments about the Tisha Torres, Michelle Waterson fight? Uh, I thought that was really competitive. I thought it was a really close fight, but I think the decision went the right way going for Torres. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. I thought that uh, the, it was a really good performance from both of these fighters. I just think Tisha Torres had more in the tank. I thought her cardio looked awesome. Uh, she's really, really ripped. So she, you know, I thought that maybe that would be a problem because she's so muscular. But uh, she looked great in there, and I, I want to see her in there again. Uh, she was looking really good, uh, and now she's not working on her master's degree anymore. I don't know who in their right mind would do that and also fight. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a good fight. Uh, we'll see what's next for Torres. I'd like to see her go up against Nama Yunus again, but it's not up to me. Uh, so, But, Bill, uh, do you want to add anything else, or do we want to move on to this awesome welterweight bout? Yeah, let's let's move along. I mean, we, we could go on about the strawweight division and go off on a tangent there, but we just have so much fight action to cover. So, yeah, this this was another crazy fight where uh, I, w I had a hard time calming down after this one too yancy medeiros and alex cowboy Oliveira. this was so back and forth it looked like medeiros was going to be knocked out maybe five or six times in the first round alone he was bloodied up he was getting big shots landed on him um and then in the second round the tide kind of turned when uh Oliveira tried to take the fight to the ground now he's He's Brazilian, but he's not really known as a grappler. And he left a lot of space for Medeiros, who's slick on the ground. Um, you know, he's a really well-rounded fighter and, and really tough. I mean, he trains with the Diaz brothers a lot, I believe. So, you know, you got to be tough to train with those guys. And, man, I can't even put to words how crazy this fucking fight was. So back and forth. I don't know if you know, Jeff, but there were uh, two fight of the night bonuses. So it was Gaethje... Alvarez and it was this fight uh, and no performance bonuses. They decided to just do two fight of the nights instead. Uh, so a lot of people were kind of wondering why Nganu didn't get a performance bonus, but uh, I'm sure they're going to take care of him somehow, some way. Uh, they, they have other arrangements with him as well. I, he's basically living at the UFC performance center. Uh, he's like, uh, what was the reference on Brendan Schaub's podcast? He said he's, Francis Ngannou is basically like the UFC's Bane from <laughs> from Batman, where they <laughs> where they're just kind of breeding him and like you know pumping him full of chemicals and stuff and <laughs> preparing him for battle. So, um, anyway, where was I? So Oliveira and Medeiros, wow, what an awesome fight! And then uh, finally the stoppage came, and luckily. Our friend Bobby Wambacher did an awesome job uh, in covering this fight. And, uh, he, you know, he stopped it just at the right time because Oliveira, he kind of like shut shut down. It was kind of weird where he kind of backed into the cage and then he dropped to the mat and then he was just out of it. So luckily, 
Uh, Bobby stepped in there and cut this one off, but I thought he did an excellent job uh, letting the action go in the first round because there was a couple of times where I was kind of worried about uh, Yancey Medeiros' safety, but you know Bobby had a close eye on it. He let the action go, and obviously Yancey was able to recover enough to come back and win the fight. So what was your thought on on this just chaotic mess of a fight, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I thought that Medeiros was finished in the first round. I think I sent you a text where I said, this fight's over, this fight has been over, and then he comes back and wins in the second round, in the third round, I'm sorry, and I was like, holy macaroni. So this was an awesome <laughs> fight, Deserving, deserve, uh, deserved the fight of the night bonus. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, also, I thought that a lot of these fights were well refed, and that was something I was thinking about because midweek I listened to the episode you did with Bobby, actually, uh, where he kind of talked us through his uh, his what he's thinking when he's refing, uh, how he's uh -huh. thinking of the fighter safety, how he has to know to un undo holds once they're mm -hmm. in. So all that was going through my head, and I was like, wow, man, these guys have a really tough job. But uh, I thought yeah. that overall – Overall, I think uh, Bobby was awesome in there. I think all the refs did a really good job. Um, uh, I understand that Herb Dean had well. a, a controversial <laughs> yeah. reason, uh, which we can get into. But, dude, uh, like I said, that's a tough job, man. And I thought uh, Bobby did a great job of letting this fight go on because I really thought Madero's was finished in the first or second round. I forget which one exactly. And then uh – -huh. uh you know, he never gave in to the crowd or anything. Uh, I know there were some boos for some of the fights, and the refs did a good job of letting them continue, stopping when, when nothing was happening. Uh, so overall, great job from the refs. I just want to throw that out there. Um, and, yeah, dude, yeah, but, fight of the night, definitely. But go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, all awesome points. While we're talking about it, let's get into that Herb Dean call that was really controversial. Uh, it came towards the end of the first round of the Abdul Razak Al-Hazan and Sabah Hamasi fight. So these guys were going at it. They were they were in a firefight, uh, just slinging leather at each other. Uh, Hamasi gets dropped uh, by Al-Hazan, and he hits the mat, and Hassan kind of tries to swarm him, and Hamasi kind of instinctively goes for a – it looks like he's going for a takedown, but I could see – from Herb Dean's perspective, how his arms were kind of limp when he wrapped around. He wasn't really wrapping and pulling Al-Hassan's legs, so it kind of looked like he was just kind of slumped over. Uh, I, I mean, depending on... They showed a few different camera angles, and obviously he recovered really quickly, and he was really upset about the stoppage because he said he's been hurt worse in fights and, and been able to come back and win. Um, this was really controversial, a lot of people thought it was a terrible stoppage, and they were they were uh, criticizing Herb Dean a lot on social media. I didn't think it was actually that bad because of the way Hamasi's arms went limp. If you're standing behind Al Hazan and all you see are these limp arms wrapped around his legs, uh, and you see this guy getting ready to start hitting him in the head further, I can see stopping it here and. Obviously, the referees always have to err on the side of caution. Uh, I know Joe Rogan said that it was an early stoppage, which doesn't help anything. It, it really kind of uh, it damages things for Herb Dean a lot. But uh, what were your thoughts on this stoppage here, Jeff? 
Well, unfortunately, I didn't see the uh, any of the UFC Fight Pass prelims, but um, judging by by the way you're explaining it, it, it sounds like maybe uh, Herb Dean had a point there. That's why I can't really comment on it. I didn't see the fight. But, um, yeah. dude, if you go back, uh, for anybody listening, go back and listen to the, the interview that Bill did with Bobby because I think it'll make you a little bit more understanding of what the refs have to do. Um, I thought it was super informative. Uh, I think Bobby did an awesome job. I think you had good questions for him. Um, you know, so it it's a really hard job. And a lot of that stuff was going through my mind for a lot of these stoppages was, yeah, was, you know, how safe is the fighter? I think uh, I forgot which fight it was, but somebody got a point deducted for grabbing the cage. Actually, that might have been the night before. And I yeah, was, that was the night before. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, actually, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll talk further about it when we get to it. But uh, dude, I, it's hard. It's it's, you know, after that interview, it's hard for me to go against the refs, man. Uh, they got a hard job. Yeah, for sure. I and uh, thanks for your commentary about that episode with uh, Bobby Wambacher. If anybody missed it, because if, if you're always waiting for the episodes to come out on Sunday like they usually do, uh, we had professional MMA referee who was uh, officiating UFC 218 in Detroit, Michigan, which is the card we're talking about currently. And uh, he was gracious enough to come on the podcast uh, last week. It was a Tuesday episode, and uh, we had some questions for him about refereeing in general and how he thought about the upcoming card. Uh, and it was really informative. It, it really changed my perspective on watching the fights as well. Uh, and he did also referee the Felice Herrig, Courtney Casey Sanchez fight, which was a really wild fight, uh, kind of towards the end where they're flipping each other off in the cage. Uh, so I'll do this, Jeff. I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of things and you tell me what sticks out to you. So there was also, so there was Herrig and, uh, Casey Sanchez, which was, uh, a split decision fight. It was it was really close, really competitive fight. And it was David Tamer and Drakkar Close, where Drakkar Close was kind of getting frustrated that he couldn't hit David Tamer, so he was complaining. And uh, Herb Dean actually warned David Tamer for stalling in that fight. And then there was the absolute beatdown of Angela Magana by Amanda Bobby Cooper. Uh, so uh, which of those would you like to comment on, Jeff, if you had to choose? Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Harry versus Casey fight. Uh, just real quick, if anybody watching saw like a cage with nobody in it uh, in the middle of the broadcast, that's because they were flipping each other off, and that was their way of censoring it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, good, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, that's like a real thing that they do. Uh, I, I think it happened one other time when Nick Diaz fought uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. But, um but yeah, that's how they censor it. And uh, I actually thought Casey won this fight, Bill. Uh, I was a little surprised that Harry got it. I felt like Casey had more output. I felt like she did a little bit more damage. But uh, other than that, I thought it was a pretty interesting fight, especially with the flipping off in the middle of the cage. Yeah, for sure. I it was hard. It was hard to judge this fight. I I legitimately could not tell, and I couldn't have chosen a winner at the end of it. Uh, I kind of thought. It was one round apiece going into the third, and then the third round was really close. And man, it was a really good fight. And uh, that's that's a bunch of fights in a row for Felice Herrig. And I'm sure she's happy that her opponent didn't shit herself this time. Uh, that's always a bonus. Uh, I'd like to comment on the Angela Magana fight. Uh, man, a lot of people really hate this girl, 
And this is five losses in a row. So I have to imagine that she's going to get cut after this. Uh, Amanda Bobby Cooper came into this fight with a record of three and three. And I told you my theory, Jeff, how I, I thought the UFC was keeping Magania around for marketing purposes because she causes so much drama and, and stir shit up on social media. And, uh, man, I, I just can't agree with the hate for her because it's really harsh. You know, people saying like, oh, good, I'm glad she got her ass kicked and and uh, I'm glad she got a beat down like that just because of things she says. And I get it. She said some really shitty things like she's uh, a bully online and she she's an antagonist. She likes to push people's buttons. Um, but I, I can't see being glad that someone gets the shit beat out of them, which is what happened to her. I mean, she took an absolute beating. She was embarrassed. Her tit popped out in the second round and the referee had to stop the fight so she could put her tit away. And then he put them back in the same position and she kept getting her ass beat. And he finally had to stop it. She was doing nothing in this fight. She had no offense to offer whatsoever. Um, I wouldn't say that I feel bad for her because, you know, she's a fighter and, and this is what she does. She knows she's getting in there. But uh, for all the people who are so happy to see her get her ass kicked because she says shitty things, I just can't get on board with that. And, um, you know, I'm not going to defend any of the things she says, but I think it's just kind of shitty to kind of kick her while she's down and say like, well, good, you got your ass kicked because you're an asshole. Like there are a lot of assholes out there and they probably should get their ass kicked. But uh, if they do, that doesn't necessarily mean I'd be happy about it. Any thoughts on this, Jeff? Or am I just kind of ranting here? Uh, I think you have a point, Bill. I think that the hate's uh, uh, a little too much. I mean, I'm kind of glad Magania lost, but not uh, the way she lost. I think, you know, getting your ass whooped is never fun, uh, especially yeah. when you do it for a living. Mm -hmm. Uh and, you know, she, she's got five losses in a row. I kind of feel bad for her because the only thing keeping her in the UFC at this point is, you know, the trash talk. And, you know, she's yeah. marking herself. And I feel like... It's showing her ass on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you can tell by my tone, I wasn't too impressed. But... <laughs> oh, man. Right. Talking about kicking her while she's down, Jeff. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. At least uh, tell her she has a decent ass. I told you, like, it's time to just get into porn for Magania now. Like, it's a, I, I think the UFC is a dead end for her. Five, five losses in a row in a division that is really still in its infancy. Um, you know, it, it's just time to move on. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that? Uh, yeah, just one last thing. I think that, uh, you know, all the hate and stuff – Dude, everybody talks shit about everybody on the internet, but, you know, the extent at which people are doing it, I feel like it puts you in the same boat, on the same level as Magana, um, yeah. you know, and what she did to Cyborg. So, you know, I, I, you know, you can read a post and stuff and just keep scrolling. You don't have to comment on it. You don't have to take time out of your day to annoy somebody else. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm more of a face-to-face -face kind of guy. You know, I feel like if you got something to say uh, or open your mouth, I can shut it for you. But, uh, you know, yeah, uh, we live in a generation where everybody's obsessed with technology and and how they appear. 
instead of uh, you know how they are and stuff in real life. So uh, now I'm going on a rant, Bill. Let's let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, no, because it's true. Because Maganya, she might not be doing well in the UFC, but I guarantee she'll whip the shit out of a lot of keyboard warriors out there, male or female. I mean, you got to be tough to be competing at this level. So there is that, and there's there's a lot of shit on the internet. Hell, I'm guilty of it myself. I made a meme of of Alistair Overeem after the knockout last night. Uh, but I wouldn't say I was glad he got knocked out or I'm happy he took that beating from Francis Ngannou. Um, I, I feel like that takes it to a different place and takes it to a different level. It doesn't need to go. So the rest of the fight pass prelims were phenomenal, actually, Jeff. I know I was texting you. Uh, Dominic Reyes uh, submits Jeremy Kimball with a rear naked choke. Uh, that was a really cool fight. And Justin Willis, uh, heavyweight, came in with a nasty knockout of Alan Crowder. Uh uh, th this this guy is going to be somebody to look out for. He's one of those heavyweights that like doesn't look like a professional athlete, but he's got crazy power in his hands. He's going to be somebody to to keep an eye on for sure. And uh, he ended this one only two two and a half minutes into the first round, so he'll be pretty fresh. And it, it'll be good to get some young blood in this heavyweight division. Uh, speaking of young blood, we have an entirely new division with a new champion. Jeff, I'm exhausted just from talking about UFC 218, and we still have a whole uh, card of fights from Friday night that was fucking phenomenal. I think I might actually need a week off next week from watching fights. I mean, I know we got a car, another card coming up, but man, I, I'm 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 on an emotional roller coaster as a fan of this sport just from the the past weekend, and you know, three cards. Uh, three really exciting cards uh, within a week's time uh, has been incredible. So Friday night we had the Ultimate Fighter season twenty six finale, uh, and this established a women's flyweight division, which you and I have been advocating for uh, since before this podcast even existed. When it was just you and I uh, drinking beers, uh, watching fights on Saturday nights, we were saying. There should be a 125-pound uh, weight class for the women. Now there is. Now it's a champion. Uh, uh, it's championed by uh, Nico Montano, who defeated Roxanne Modafferi in the finals. Who Modafferi was a replacement for... Uh, the name is escaping me right now. Shapiro, who was injured uh, and couldn't make so, weight. Uh, Sajara Eubanks. Sajara Eubanks. I don't know why I forgot her name. I clearly was not watching this uh, season of The Ultimate Fighter very closely. But, um, yeah, Sajara Eubanks. So, uh, Mata Perry, who is the favorite going in, number one seed. I think Montano was like the number 13 seed or number 14 seed, something like that. Uh, comes away with a victory. And she looked awesome. Really dominant. Uh, and... You know, Mataferi was trying to get some submissions off her back. She kept working, working. Uh, this is a great fight. I, I really enjoyed it, uh, and it really capped off a, an incredible card. So what were your thoughts on the season of The Ultimate Fighter, how it played out, and do you think the best fighter won, Jeff? Yeah, Bill. Uh, Nico Montano really shocked me this season. I didn't expect her to beat uh, – I forgot who she fought in the – oh, Barbara Honchak in the semifinals. And uh, she really surprised me, uh, as did Sajar Eubanks. Uh, she came in with a chip on her shoulder. She felt like 
she was seated too low, and it turns out she was, man. She ripped through a bunch of girls on that show. Uh, but I was really glad that Roxanne Modafferi got the, the replacement uh, on, like, a day's notice, too, man. Uh, and what a fight this was, man. It was exciting every single round. Uh, Modafferi is saying that she has improved her striking. I don't know by how much. I think her, her striking is a little weird. She comes in and like really stiff with her head and, and her just moves yeah. her arms around like this. And uh, <laughs> but dude, I'll tell you, this was an awesome fight. I'd love to see them do it again. Um, uh, but here's the thing about Modafferi. She's never won a fight in the UFC, Bill. So uh, yeah. what do you think? What do we do with her, Bill? Uh, you know, I think she still has room to develop, uh, you know, this is still a pretty new division. She's got a big fan base. So, uh, that definitely, uh, works in her favor. So I, I think, you know, she's a character. She's, yeah, she's got a gimmick that kind of works for her. She's 35 years old, which, uh, you know, is kind of getting up there for an MMA fighter, but, uh, you know, she seems to keep herself in pretty good condition. So I think she has attitude, and I think she'll learn from this experience on the Ultimate Fighter. It's her second time on the Ultimate Fighter, and she learned a lot the last time, and she wound up uh, being a title contender in Invicta after her last run on the Ultimate Fighter. So uh, I, I think she definitely uh, will be able to sharpen some tools and, and get back in there and at least... Uh, be a contender in this new flyweight division, which is going to be awesome because there are, there are some really awesome fights on this card, like up and down. I don't want to go over the whole thing because we've talked about so many fights already, but uh, let's work our way down. So the co-main event was uh, Sean O'Malley and Terion Ware. I'm out of the Dana White contender series. Uh, he was really flashy on there and he got along with Snoop Dogg and and uh, uh, Snoop Dogg basically cut a promo for him. So he's got a lot of hype behind him. He's got a lot of confidence. Um, and, and he's got the endorsement of Snoop Dogg. So uh, he definitely has a lot of things in his favor. Uh, he's very flashy. He got exhausted in this fight. Uh, and But he was in there against you know a veteran, somebody who has a lot more experience than him in Terry on Ware. And he was able to go the distance with him. I think it was an important test for Sean O'Malley for him to realize that he's not going to be able to go in there and just walk through guys like he had been doing in a, in the local circuit. And, uh, I think it was, it was good for him to, to face adversity in a fight and, and go against an experienced guy who's well-rounded. Uh, any thoughts on this fight, Jeff? And, uh, did you see Sean O'Malley on the contender series or, or were you not really following that? Uh, I don't really follow the contender series, but Sean O'Malley, uh, just looking at the promos and stuff, he looks interesting. Uh, like he's got a cool look with the hair and stuff, but uh, I'm not ready to really jump on that bandwagon. A lot of people were excited to see him. I think he's still got a lot of holes in his game, uh, things that he needs to work on. Uh, but he did look good. I see a lot of potential in him. Uh, he landed a nice takedown in one of the rounds. I believe it was the second or third round. And Here's the thing, Bill. Uh, Terry Ware is a little bit older, but this is only his second fight, I believe, in the UFC, and he lost his first one. So I don't mm -hmm. know how much of a test this is for O'Malley. Um, 
But it, it was interesting to see him uh, go f uh, out of the first round. I think this was the first time in his career that he's gone out of the first round. So I think he did well. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. But overall, I think he shows a lot of potential. I'm just not ready to, to jump on that bandwagon yet. I think he's still got a long way to go. Yeah, I hear you, man. I think, uh, you know, he's got the he's got the character thing down. Uh, you know, he's kind of eccentric looking and, he, you know, I guess he talks a lot and he's flashy. Uh, so he's got all that going for him. Uh, the the fighting, I think he's only 22 or something like that. So the fighting will come. And I think this is good for him to uh, to face some adversity and go into some deep water uh, with an experienced fighter. Uh so speaking of experienced fighters, Lauren Murphy and Barb Honchak uh, went at it, and this was a last-minute fight um, because Lauren Murphy wasn't supposed to be on this card. Barb Honchak was supposed to fight Roxanne Modafferi, I believe. So Modafferi obviously got called up to fight in the final match, uh, and Lauren Murphy got the phone call to come in last minute. Uh, and um, this was a this is a really competitive fight. It was really close. It wound up being a split decision for Lauren Murphy. Uh, I think the decision went the right way, but it was really close. It was really competitive. Uh, I thought Barb's striking was a lot more crisp than Lauren Murphy's. Lauren throws uh, a lot more winging punches, and and Barb is kind of like real smooth in and out, uh, landing stuff and and getting out of the pocket, uh, and that's. That was because of her reach disadvantage in this fight as well. Um, but, yeah, great fight. Two really experienced uh, WMMA athletes going at it. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Do you think the decision went the right way? Yeah, I think Murphy outworked Honchak. I think that uh, she did a really good job coming in last minute. And I think this was a win that she desperately needed. She's got a couple of losses in the UFC already. Uh, I know her record's not super great, so I thought that, <clears throat> excuse me, this win was good for her. Uh, good to see her back in the winner's column. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, the only thing that wasn't good about this was that Daniel Cormier called her the wrong name in the post-fight interview. Lauren! <laughs> it was great. Yeah. <laughs> she did it just like all the shows. Great. Which is why I posted the meme, for those of you who follow on Instagram, I posted the meme of Daniel Cormier as Steve Harvey, uh, who announced the wrong, uh, <laughs> the wrong uh, Miss America, or whatever he did, whatever he did wrong, that wasn't really relevant, but it was like a big social to-do. Uh, the fight before that, I thought was incredible. Uh, Gerald Mirashar and Eric Spicely. Um, Jeff, you know I've been a big fan of Gerald Mirashar uh, since he debuted in the UFC. Uh, he's been a guy that I've insisted everyone keep an eye on, and I I'm standing by that. He's got some awesome submissions. He's submitted Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts, and Spicely, known for his ground game, uh, he was controlling Mirashar on the ground for much of the first round. This is kind of similar to the Paul Felder-Charles Oliveira fight in that uh, you know, the jiu-jitsu guy had a lot of control in the first round and, uh, you know, their opponent stayed calm and was able to survive and then ended up knocking them out in the second round. So Mearshart was landing some nasty body kicks right to the liver of Eric Spicely. And I was sitting on my couch and I was like, he needs to keep going back to that body kick because he was landing it and you could tell it was hurting Spicely. And I was like, he needs to keep going back to the body kick. And I'm looking around and realizing that there's nobody there. And <laughs> I'm just talking to myself 
in my living room. But uh, <laughs> I, I might have been texting you also, Jeff. But he goes back to that body kick one more time, and it puts Spicely down, and uh, he did not get back up. So a really impressive uh, victory for Gerald Mearshart. He showed that he was able to survive adversity against a really high-level grappler. And Mearshart, known as a submission guy himself, but uh, you know there are levels to the submission game, and he he knew that Spicely was at a higher level than him, and he didn't want to be on the ground with him uh, and, and put him down with a body shot. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? This was another awesome fight, Bill, and a weekend filled with awesome fights. And I thought Mearshart did a good job of really defending the rear naked choke uh, against Spicely, who, you know, Mearshart spent probably – uh, the entire second half of the first round with Mirshar with uh, Spicely on his back, so that was really nuts. And dude, that body kick was awesome. And this is one of my favorite ways to knock somebody out is when uh, when I see someone take a bad shot to the body and they just fold up like an accordion and go over. Uh, it's one of my favorite ways of knocking somebody out. Yeah, super fun fight, definitely deserved by Mirshar. Uh, I thought this was fight of the night for me, Bill. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I love the back and forth when you have like, you know, so somebody who's so dominant in one round and then the next round, the other guy comes back and really awesome fight. Uh, another really competitive fight was uh, Deanna Bennett and Melinda Fabian. Uh, this fight went to a draw because John McCarthy had to deduct a point for Fabian grabbing the cage. And this is exactly what Bobby Wambacher was talking about uh, when he came on the podcast on Tuesday. He tells the fighters backstage uh that and i one of the questions i had asked him you go back and listen to episode 73 if you want to hear more about this uh but one of the questions i asked him is what's one of the things that you'll be quickest to deduct a point for and he was quick to say grabbing the cage because he tells all the fighters in the back if you grab the cage and it affects a takedown i'm gonna take a point away because he can't stop the fight and reposition the fighters on the ground but he can stop the fight and deduct a point and then put the fighters back where they were, uh, which I think is absolutely the right way to handle it. And John McCarthy did exactly that. So Bennett was about to hit a takedown. Fabian grabbed the cage. John McCarthy stops the fight, deducts the point, and uh, that's where the draw came from. So what were your thoughts on this whole debacle and the whole grabbing the cage situation, Jeff? Yeah, I think Big John had it perfect. I think he called it exactly the right way. And as soon as I saw that she didn't, that uh, Bennett didn't hit the takedown, I, I was thinking back to the podcast at this point exactly, where I was like, dude, like that that cage grab directly prevented a takedown from happening. And I was like, he's probably going to take a point, or at least, uh, you know, just judging by how Bobby explained it to explained it to you, I kind of had it. Like, I, I basically would have deducted a point too. So I think Big John did the right thing, and I think that that round was definitely a nine nine because uh, Bennett was. I think she won that round. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Melinda Fabian. I thought would have won the round had it not been for the cage grab. And, you know, I, then I had it yeah. around the piece from there. So I kind of figured this would go to a draw. Um, and it did. Fortunately, it was a majority draw. But, yeah, dude, uh, that just – it really ticks me off when somebody does that, uh, when somebody grabs the cage and prevents a takedown from happening. Uh, and it's funny. I've done it in the gym just, like, instinctively. But then as soon as I realized I did it, I let go of the cage. Because uh, uh, yeah. you've seen, yeah, uh, I imagine your gym is like this too. A lot of jujitsu gyms kind of have the cage around them. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, dude, uh, very, very big decision. I think McCarthy got it right. 
Uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, this fight didn't do too much for me, Bill. So uh, yeah. if you have something to add, we can move on to Brett Johns versus Joe Soto and the highlight reel submission that he caught Soto with. Yeah, so 30 seconds into this fight, uh, man, Joe Soto goes for a takedown and Brett Johns starts setting up a calf slicer immediately. And if you've ever been put in a calf slicer, it's it's one of the most physically painful submissions you could ever be in. Um, and, and it's one of those things where by the time you feel it, uh, you're, you're already injured. Uh, so it, it, it really hits you. It, it feels like somebody's sticking a knife into your calf, which is where the name calf slicer comes from. And it was only the second calf slicer in UFC history. And it was just slow reaction time on the part of Joe Soto because uh, this was this was methodically set up by Brett Johns. And I, I think somebody, I, I think it might have even been Brett Johns who put something on Twitter like, there's only been one calf slicer in UFC history. And Brett Johns says, hold my beer, uh, which I'm a big fan of because I drink a lot of beer and I like jujitsu. Uh, so that's, that's the best kind of joke to get to me. But, uh, what were your thoughts uh, on this, uh, really obscure submission here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill. my first thought was I'm a big guy. I don't think I could ever pull this off. So, <laughs> so uh, it looked like, uh, Brett Johns is super flexible, man. Uh, the way he started setting up, uh, his leg to go around Soto's leg, uh, right when, uh, Soto caught the single, and when they rolled, it looked like at first it looked like John was going for a knee bar, and then I see him uh, figure four his legs and start yanking on the ankle, and I was like, oh my god, um, yeah, dude. And you, I've been calling a calf slicer before, and Bill, you you nailed it on the head, dude. And it's like a shooting pain that goes up to your knee, dude, and it, uh, it bothers your knee. So you, you got to tap out as soon as you get put into this. Uh, a lot of gyms, a lot of BJJ gyms, they, uh, it's kind of frowned upon to go for calf mm -hmm. slicers. Uh, that's one of those uh, no no moves. Yeah, it's it it's not something that you want to do to your friends. That's for sure. So, uh, if your training partners are your friends, then you don't want to be doing this in a gym while you're rolling with them because it hurts a lot. And like I said, by the time it, it hurts enough for you to tap to it, it's kind of too late, and you're gonna be maybe not injured, but you're gonna be sore for a couple of days, if not a week. Uh, and that's the same with, uh, there's also something called a bicep slicer, which works very similarly where you basically put your own limb, uh, against someone's muscle. And then you use, uh, the rest of their limb to kind of crush your bone onto their, the meat of their muscle. And, and that's the way it works. That's the best way I can describe it without actually physically showing it. Uh, it's hard to describe with just words, but yeah, really painful. Uh, I really felt for Joe Soto, but uh, awesome win for Brett Johns. Uh, and I believe he's undefeated. So uh, bright career for him. He's he's obviously got some slick submission skills. Uh, the rest of the prelims were fucking awesome, Jeff, but we don't have time to talk about all of them. We had three arm bars and two TKOs. Uh, the one I definitely want to talk about is Ryan James and Andrew Sanchez. We talked about this fight last week. And I had said that this was going to be a really interesting fight. And 
Ryan James was basically unconscious. He was like the walking dead in that first round. Uh, I don't know how he survived, but he did. And then Andrew Sanchez basically sucked the life of, out of himself trying to finish this fight. And Ryan James comes back uh, with a knockout in, in the first minute of the third round. Uh, this fight was fucking insane, Jeff, because Ryan James should not have been conscious after that first round, but he was. And he was able to knock out a completely exhausted Andrew Sanchez. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I thought James was done in that first round, man. But Andrew Sanchez, as we've seen before, and I've used the example of Brock Lesnar versus uh, Shane Carwin, is when you try to finish somebody and you can't, it gasses you out, it exhausts you, and that's exactly what happened. I didn't know James had this chin on him, but Sanchez couldn't knock him out. I don't know how, how he couldn't, because James, I thought he was out. I thought he was done. Yeah. And then Sanchez was too tired to do anything after that, and Ryan James took it at the beginning of the third round. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, this was another one of those fights where I was so amped up. Jeff, I I think I might need to go on like heart medication after this weekend of fights because I I've just been so up and down with the adrenaline. Uh, it, it's really just been awesome. If you're a fan of MMA, it doesn't get better than this. Uh, a free fight night on Friday night and then an incredible pay-per-view that lived up to uh, everything it was meant to, unless you're part of uh, the Detroit Free Press, which somebody posted an article in there saying that they were there live and the card was underwhelming and it wasn't as stacked as the New York cards and like basically like whiny journalism, which is a real pet peeve for me. I can't stand, I, I can't stand complaining in general. Like if you're going to a sporting event and, and you don't like it, like, all right. So you just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good event. Like, but to go out of your way to write an article about how the event was overwhelming. And I don't know if I got that news source, right. Uh, let me just double check this because I uh, I put it on Twitter. Yeah, it was Detroit Free Press. Uh, UFC 218 in Detroit lacked great fights, novel production, and was underwhelming, is, is what the journalist said, which is fucking bullshit. If you didn't like the fight, uh, keep it to yourself. But this is one of the greatest nights and the greatest weekends of fights of all time. So if you have anything bad to say about it, clearly not a fight fan. And that's all I have to say about that. So uh, three arm bars on the prelims, Jillian Robertson, uh, Rachel Ostevich, and Montana De La Rosa. Uh, any of those arm bars stand out to you, Jeff, before we wrap up the fight talk here? Uh, all of them stand out to me. But if I got to pick just one, I'm going to go with Ostevich versus, uh, Rachel Ostevich versus, uh, Kareen Gavorjigin. Um, I probably butchered her last name, but it looked like she was in a really bad spot. She was getting grounded and pounded and then she set up an arm bar. It looked like Kareen was going to slip out of it, but Ostevich would not give up and ended up, uh, really squeezing the, the arm there and Kareen tapped quit quick so uh that was really good and bill just to follow up on what you were saying uh yeah i've been to a ufc two ufc events and they were both phenomenal um 
So I, I don't know what this person is complaining about. I thought that 218 was going to be – I didn't think 218 would be able to follow up this card uh, specifically, but I think they did. I think – oh, man, I think we were blessed to have this weekend of awesome cards. Yeah, which funnily enough is the nickname of the headliner, UFC 218. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I, I felt the same way, Jeff. I thought I thought the tough 26 finale was uh, a pleasant surprise. Uh, some awesome finishes, some awesome fights, crazy back and forth action, a and then after that, I thought, all right, uh, you know, maybe two eighteen is going to be a dud because you know what are the odds at two in a row? But you know, it's the same odds as flipping a coin. I mean, you could have uh, an an awesome fight one night, and then uh, you could have two awesome fight cards in a row, and th and that's what we got this weekend. And that's the beauty of this sport, Jeff. It's a beautiful sport, and you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the cards where you don't know anybody could turn out to be amazing. It was the same instance last week with UFC uh, from Shanghai where we didn't know a lot of the fighters on there, but there were some incredible fights on that card. Um, I'm really considering taking a week off, though, Jeff, because I'm exhausted from all this action. And while we've been talking here, I've been polishing off a bottle. Uh, I just poured the last bit of it. Uh, I may have talked about this on the show before. I'm not sure, but uh, this is what I decided to crack open to talk about these cards. And uh, it's Heritage Distilling Company Rye Whiskey. Uh, it's a dual-aged whiskey. Um, I'm holding up the bottle for the people on YouTube here. As you can see, it is empty because I just poured the last glass of it. So it's got like a real rich caramel color to it. For those who don't know, rye whiskeys tend to be a little bit spicier. Uh, it's Think of it like it's kind of like rye bread. has a little bit more spice to it than like a wheat bread or a white bread. So it, it's, it's kind of like a bourbon, but it just has like a spiciness to it. And so it'll still have like the sweet undertones, a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of cinnamon, things like that. Uh, but this heritage has a really nice balance of the spice to it. Uh, it. It really leaves like a nice flavor on the palate. Um, but Jeff, I know that you were sipping on something not so pleasant this weekend. I know we're usually really positive on this show, but I've been looking forward to you talking about <laughs> this stuff that <laughs> after everything I've taught you, you thought it was a good idea to get this stuff. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, what you were drinking during the Tough 26 finale and UFC 218? So, uh, so I wasn't drinking anything. I was uh, I bought these things called fruit nippers from a deli across the street <laughs> from where I work. And uh, they're just uh, alcohol-infused fruit. And I'll hold up the label for those of you uh, watching this on YouTube. You see that? Never buy this shit. Tastes like fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, the apples themselves taste terrible. This is this is the apple cinnamon whiskey. One, the apples by themselves taste terrible. Then the alcohol in it tastes even worse. It tastes like rubbing alcohol infused with piss is what this tastes like. Too. And then and then they have and then on the top here they have some serving suggestions. You know where this should best be served from, Bill? A fucking trash can. Because <laughs> this is fucking terrible. God. Well, worst $10 I've ever spent, man. All right. First of all, Jeff, 
Your your first red flag should have been that you bought this at a deli. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what else to do. We've been doing this podcast for well over a year where I've been trying to educate you on the finer points of alcohol and good bourbons and good tequila and you go and do so you go and do stuff like this but uh as baffling as it is jeff it's part of your charm <laughs> it's part of the reasons one of the reasons that i love you and why i love doing this show with you because you do things like this that make me laugh <laughs> so in the words of francis and ganu fuck racists fuck racism and fuck fruit nippers <laughs> don't buy this shit yeah, please. All right, Jeff. I think that's a good place to kind of call it here. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest uh, about all the MMA action this weekend, or do you want to do you want to slam fruit nippers anymore? <laughs> because no, I'm open to that too. No, I've said everything I needed to say about them. I don't want to give them any more time on this show. Let's get over. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Yeah. If anybody tries fruit nippers, though, please video your reaction. Send it to us on social media. You can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm easy to get a hold of MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email. Uh, so I think that's all we got. This is a long episode. Uh, thanks to everybody who made it all the way through. And thanks to everybody for tuning in in general. Cheers, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>